0: Hello, and welcome to the Knowledge Without College podcast. This is your host, Patrick Butler. And today I have a very special conversation to share with you. I just had the opportunity to speak with a woman named Adrienne Ashley. Adrian is a lot of things. Uh, among those, she is an author, a speaker, and a founder of many different uh, entities, companies, and projects. We talk a lot in this episode about her new NFT project called Foxy's. She's also a co-founder of another project called Billionaire Zombies Club, which is also really cool. Foxy's is actually releasing this week on Tuesday, 2 Uh, And I whitelisted, I think you will want to as well after hearing this conversation, where we talk about a lot of different things, including blockchain technology itself, different implementations for blockchain, reasons why we need to implement uh, this kind of technology into all of our systems, from voter ID to polling and many more this is a very fascinating conversation i learned a ton personally and i think that you will too Uh, adrian is a wealth of knowledge information and data and she could just go on and on and on and talk forever and i could listen for all of it so without any further delay enjoy this conversation with adrian ashley Hey, Adrian, thank you so much for joining us. It's a real honor to have you on the show.
1: Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I love your podcast.
0: Thank you. Thank you. For the audience out there who is not familiar with all of your wide world of work just yet, would you mind telling them a little bit about yourself and how you got to this point where you're at today?
1: Okay. So this is going to take about four hours. So grab a coffee.
0: That's fine. I'll get my coffee ready.
1: Got it, got it. Hi, I'm Adrienne Ashley. I am a blockchain OG. I got my first Bitcoin in 2009 and lost it. So you know, like many OGs, you can cry for me later and do the math. It was 2,500 Bitcoin. So in 2012, I got really into Bitcoin, not Bitcoin blockchain, but blockchain is a technology, and started to figure out how it would help people with supply chain and automating things. 2015, I started uh, in like figuring out the use cases. And I designed my first NFT based on Bitcoin colored coins, but it wasn't really possible. It was going to cost a million dollars to do it. So I didn't, but it was for a nonprofit to replace the bricks in front of a hospital and figure out how we could incentivize endowment grants to, to really propel nonprofit donations. 2017, I got into ERC 721s uh, through green energy and then started doing green energy and event tickets and luxury goods tracking and all sorts of other practical applications for NFTs, also including music. Why me and nobody else either started thinking about art with NFTs, I don't know, but we didn't. (laughs) I got into art NFTs in 2019. I've worked on a number of projects from 2017 to 2019. For three years, I traveled the world teaching hedge funds and family offices how to do due diligence in blockchain because they really wanted to invest. They wanted to get in on this new technology, but they didn't know how to do it. Uh, and then I started doing uh, NFT projects. I've designed several for some celebrities that are going to be launching soon on how to really move their audience from social media where they could be deplatformed and lose access into their own private communities using NFTs as access gate tokens, reward systems, things like that. So I have a pretty deep background in law thankfully because i worked on a number of icos so i've worked with the best lawyers in the world i am not an attorney for full disclosure i just play one on tv sometimes Uh, i do hail from the entertainment industry and uh I just was recently the co-founder of the Billionaire Zombies Club, which was a is a 10K generative PFP project, but that also is now a DAO and a metaverse game launching soon. We're a $20 billion project uh and a 20, sorry, $20 million project, $20 billion valuation on the token. Uh, and now I am launching Foxies, which is our 10K generative project that leads into a breeding engine that will educate a million women and girls in blockchain development and entrepreneurship in the metaverse, along with incubators, accelerators, and grant programs. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. I didn't cover the whole 16 years of cheerleading and I can intimidate the other team during the game.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That is a lot. uh, And there's a lot lot. to go through. I mean,
1: that's the brief, the brief brief history. And that's
0: the brief history sparing (laughs) us about uh, three hours and 56 minutes. Um, But I, I want to take it back all the way back to, you know, like the very early beginning here, like the 2009, 10, 11, early yeah. crypto this is back when you know crypto really was not a thing at all especially not widely known very few pockets on the internet were aware of it how did you stumble across it and what was it about that that made you see the vision of the future you know here we are in 2022
1: oh, I didn't over a decade
0: it. later it's crazy
1: i didn't see it i didn't see it you got to understand. 2009. I was doing consulting, so I've been doing business acceleration, monetization, revenue strategies, things like that for years. I've been basically mentoring small businesses and helping them grow. So I got, you know, a query, they wanted to do an hour long consultation, they're like, will you take Bitcoin? I'm like, what's Bitcoin? but I love technology. I wrote HTML before there was an internet for a law library, replacing like normally with a law library, they'd get this mail mailer of pages and they'd go and they'd change out the pages in the books. Right. Uh, and so this was a CD version for a subscription. So they'd just get the CDs and then, then they just use the most current CD. Um, and that was before the internet was born. And so I'm like, i love technology i've programmed since i was 12 and i'm 53 i don't look at it people discount decades of experience because they make assumptions so i just want to be clear i have decades of experience yes um so i was like what's bitcoin and and he told me and i said sure okay i mean it's an hour of my time and i'm gonna you know get introduced to something bleeding edge sure why not uh and then i you know did the thing and lasted actually a couple hours because it was Pretty cool, uh, and then I. It, but remember, this is pre-wallet. Two thousand nine was pre-wallet. You had to, and I have a Mac, so I had to open a terminal window in a Mac. It's not the same thing as in a Windows machine. And then do a bunch of things that he told me to do to get a bunch of codes that I got, and then I, you know, promptly forgot about it. And then I ended up donating that computer in twenty twelve to a nonprofit because I was doing movie editing. I'm an award winning film producer as well, and and so I gave the machine away. And I, wow. I had originally at the time written it down, but I didn't write it down correctly. So that's how I got started. And then, uh, you know, right after I gave the machine away, like probably a year later or so I remembered and I tried to find it and I can't find it, can't find them, can't find the nonprofit, can't find the machine. So, you know, it is what it is. But, um, and then in, uh, I think it was 2015, Uh, I, I got, I was doing blockchain, the technology, right? Like the immutable ledger. What I like to say is the unfuckwithable ledger of what actually happened that implemented into a business use case, right? Like you have the whole Sarbanes-Oxley thing where they, you know, they have to, uh, be very compliant. The CEO has to sign and they're on the hook for it, uh, if, if there's any malfeasance. So they spend about $20 million a year for this accounting procedure in these, large public corporations but if you implement blockchain in that and you already have those hooks in there and it's writing as everything goes they press a button at the end and there's their report and if they notice that something's not right they can go back and correct it but it's transparently corrected that it was corrected right yep and and that would cost them about a million dollars a year for the licensing fees and the setup and all that other stuff so they'd save a ton of money just using blockchain just for transparency and tracking. So we were trying to get that implemented. Um, there are just so many, so many things. <laughs> so well, many.
0: it's clearly, and and so it sounds like, you know, the sort of where you are today is a combination of a variety of experiences, events in this space, you know, both with Bitcoin and blockchain sort of culminating to where we are today. Was there a certain point or a turning point or just, particular moment where you realized that this was, uh, you know, really like a massive mover in technology for the future, like one divine sparking moment, or was it really just an accumulation the whole, you know, over time?
1: No, I mean, my pivotal moment really came uh, with my dating app when I realized I could end the me too epidemic simply by putting consent on the blockchain. And the way that it was being done, a couple of moms had like whipped up apps for their their sons who were on playing, you know, college sports, but it's a single point of consent. It misses the entire idea, which is that you can revoke consent at any time. And so mine was you open a consent window, you close a consent window, then there's no go Um So it's like a prenup and a postnup.
0: Right? And so this is this was designing your own dating app. This
1: I was designing cool. my own dating app. I had already designed the dating app, um, but I hadn't thought about block chaining it. And then the security Mm -hmm. aspects of it where we could use an audio trigger for your safe word that would then start streaming not only your telemetric data about where you are, but it would also audio and video stream. And then those would go to confidential private servers on a private chain. And the nodes of those private chains were, were housed basically with lawyers in all 50 states because lawyers are officers of the court. So therefore, we never housed or touched the evidence the evidence was always in the court's hands and you could only access it if you were law enforcement or with a court order because um, there's a whole bunch of compliance things. You don't want somebody's sex life ending up on TMZ. I mean, that's just wrong.
0: Sure, absolutely. So, so just so I understand that idea more clearly. So the idea is that in this app, we're basically using blockchain technology to create a secure environment for people to communicate with.
1: Yeah, no, no, to acknowledge consent. The idea is that the app inspires transparent communication about what do I really want, right? I mean, I'm a female. I don't know if this happens to men as much, but you know, how often is it that uh, you end up in bed with the wrong person?
0: I see. <laughs> right. So this is beyond the dating app. This is when you've connected in real life here. This is, you know. But,
1: but the idea of the dating app was we would match you based on sexual compatibility because, um, you know, as one example, I was friends with someone for a very long time. I knew them very well. I adored them. Um, but our tastes were markedly different and that was never going to work. So that's, that's the idea is that people don't lead with those things, right? And because they don't lead with those things, you need to make sure that you're compatible. So what the app would do was it was exclusionary, right? We bucketed everybody into ice cream flavors. So if I say a rocky road and a bubble gum don't go together, you kind of instinctively know that I'm right without having to understand the naughty underlying reasons why, right? So, so it it was exclusionary. Like on Bumble here, it, when I moved to Reno in 2012, I downloaded Bumble, and every single profile was better than the next. These were like Abercrombie and Fitch model level venture capitalists and investment bankers, and like just, oh, they were, they were fabulous. and I'm swiping yes and yes and yes and yes. and I'm getting crickets. How does that make me feel? Well, then I, I swiped past and I saw my friend's boyfriend. And mm. I'm like, dude, why are you on Bumble in Reno, of all places? He goes, I'm not on Bumble. And I'm screenshotting. I'm like, you're on Bumble. And he goes, that's my seven years ago Tinder app profile from before I was dating Alicia. I'm like, what? So I realized basically, the app was pre populated, I assume I'm hallucinating, I'm not making allegations in my hallucination. And based on several people's reporting, the app was pre populated with the most beautiful curated uh, Tinder profiles, and location data from wherever they had been, which means that they these people had at one point or another went skiing in Tahoe. Got it. So that was the other thing. So the whole verifiable, like women, we need safety, security, and certainty to say yes. So the underlying promise of the app was that these people are, they are human, right? They are who they say they are. And there was a whole reputation and staking piece that goes around it called POPs, Proof of Personal Stake, which we are still launching this year. Um, And the idea was that, you know, dating apps are just fraught with bots, scammers, ghosts, and predators. And uh, a man's worst fear going on a blind date is that she's going to be fat. And a woman's worst fear is that she's going to be murdered. How do you solve for both equations? I know, I know. And people laugh and I'm like three times. It's they a real, yeah. survey, survey three times every single time. His worst fear is that she's fatter than her picture. And her worst fear is that she is going to be murdered.
0: I don't doubt it at all.
1: Right. So it it just, it's, it's, it's very difficult in terms of, getting people on the same line because getting a woman to take a shower, do her hair, do her makeup, get dressed and walk out the door. Is a, an extraordinarily high bar because we could binge watch Netflix and make kettle corn. And we know that's a rocking good time. So you got to be better than that. So you have to be provably better than that before we even say yes.
0: I mean, Today. yes, <laughs> for sure. And I mean, I, One thing that's very interesting to me about this, uh, you know, I think people underestimate the potential use cases of blockchain. And, uh, you know, like this is one that I certainly never considered before. Um, And, but there's so many more. And I think what, you know, you're describing here is that you've seeked out different ways to implement this technology. And I think there's so many, so much low hanging fruit in this space. And I think for anyone that's like young and looking for something to do, learning about blockchain is like guaranteed yeah. moneymaker because you can figure out so many different implementations of it. What are some of those that you think are not being worked on today that definitely should be worked on?
1: You mean besides voter ID? So here's my thing. And
0: voter ID can be one of okay. them. You know, if, if so people aren't it. working on it, if they're not pushing hard enough, then we'll they're, talk about that.
1: They, they're literally actively refusing it. So here's my, here's my thing. They say that voter ID leads to voter suppression, which I think is the exact opposite. So here's the deal there was a nonprofit that did a a, a kind of an experiment. So they took a bunch of homeless people who were not drug addicts, were not alcoholics, didn't have mental health problems. They were just down on their luck, right? And they helped them get their IDs. So that required a physical volunteer to drive them around, take them to the, the county recorder's office, you know, get a copy of their birth certificate, take them to social security, get a copy of their social security card, take them to the DMV, get them their driver's license or their ID card. And all of them, ended up becoming self-sufficient within a couple of months. Wow. Literally being able to get a job, being able to get an apartment, like all of them.
0: Just from getting an ID, or that's like sort of the primary?
1: Just because they got an ID. Wow. So my philosophy is this, actually a voter ID would be considered identification for the purposes of not only voting, but also for employment, right? So why not, instead of saying no voter ID, it it, it literally is suppressing people who don't have an ID, why not flip it and say, everybody gets to get an ID for free. If we get everybody an ID for free, right? Then that solves that problem. It also solves the controversy of voter ID because it's, not, it's a no big. So uh, in order to get to that, I started with everybody wants to get laid who's single. There's 60 million people who will get their ID because I did this whole digital ID thing that proved and it verified your license and everything, it verified who you are. Then I had uh, come up with in uh, February of 2020 at ETH Denver, which we're at, ETH Denver is right now, right now. Um, the last time I was there, an application called pop right in which was for last minute beauty bookings. And, and so you basically start putting this ID into a whole bunch of consumer apps until you have enough of the population that has it. And that the people that don't have an ID and can't verify that part, then, you we literally create a nonprofit grant program to get them their ID. Then boom, everybody has an ID. And then there's no more argument. Why would you not implement it when it's blockchain based? And if we're not gonna, and if we're not gonna start with voter ID, great. How about polling workers ID on the blockchain? Because they're sharing logins. So you have one login and 25 people and you don't know who did what. Everybody gets their own login. You do an audit trail on the tabulation machines like every two minutes or every minute. And boom. Then my whole thing is let's just remove questions from the table, right? There's no question, right? It's all audible, transparent. Boom, easy done. That's my that's my thought. I just I'm a I'm a sensible middle independent, and my philosophy on voting um, is is targeted by both sides, which I think is hilarious. Every single U.S. citizen over the age of 18 and still living who desires to do so should have easy access to the ballot box and certainty that their ballot was counted and tabulated correctly. That's it.
0: Absolutely, I mean, I'd be willing to enshrine that in writing, you know what
1: I mean? Um, uh, I'm gonna put it on the t- back of the 10 commandments.
0: <laughs> yes, uh, or the back of the constitution, perhaps a new amendment or something. Um, mm-hmm. Well, I'm curious, you know, related to that. So just to make sure I'm clear on on this idea, because I think, uh, What's cool to me about blockchain is is it's so much, there's so much opportunity to build sort of bridge technologies. I actually just interviewed uh, another man on the podcast who sort of focuses on these bridge technologies to figure out like, hey, here's a cool technology that we have. One example that we talked about was, you know, contactless payments, right? So he figured right. out like, hey, here's this cool technology where you can have a device talk to another device without uh, touching or, you know, without uh, you know any Human of those things. Yeah, without human interaction, and one of the challenges, though, is that, you know, payment processing systems are all they're in place already. It's a dinosaur industry. It's going to be really hard to impact and get them to update a billion or whatever, you know, millions and millions and millions of point of sale systems to be able to work with some new technology. How do you build that like additional piece on top to make it work? Um, And ultimately, we landed with what we have today with contactless payment uh, because he was able to figure it out, uh, which is really cool. But,
1: I, I actually can figure it out i can yes. tell you who's going to dominate that
0: uh yes absolutely well for voter id what well, I think what you're saying is to have a specific voter id sort of on top of uh, our existing system as opposed to trying to pull apart the existing system and put it back together on the blockchain
1: exactly no i'm what I'm talking about is just an additional layer that actually opens up opportunity for all when it comes to the contactless payment systems so here's a use case that i've been Literally saying forever uh, to explain smart contracts, right? So humans are limited by time, right? 24 hours in a day. We're only awake for so many of them. Uh, imagine Amazon's warehouse facility, right? And you put these little chips in there. And this was inspired by a pitch that I heard, um, I want to say in 2012. Uh, you put the little chip, the Raspberry Pi, right? You have a Raspberry Pi monitoring all of the lights in the ceiling and a light bulb goes out that kicks off a smart contract which then says do we have a light bulb in stock no we don't have a light bulb in stock kicks off another smart contract that says order a light bulb orders the light bulb shipping and receiving gets the light bulbs in boom kicks off it's it's waiting for the trigger kicks off light bulb is in light bulb is now in the warehouse and can be installed kicks off a maintenance request For someone to go change the light bulb, light bulb sensor then says, my light works now. Boom. Closed. The only thing that had to do was the person who's going to put the light bulb in literally says, oh, I have a work order. It saves a lot of time and streamlines things so that things happen the way they're supposed to happen and you don't have human error. Um, So that's one very boring use case, but it does go to this whole contactless payments thing. Now, if, if you look at Solana, which is a new blockchain, uh, they're capable of doing 65,000 transactions a second, right? So they, they blow Visa away. But here's the best part. Not only are settlements instantaneous, but the way that they've done their consensus mechanism would actually allow current financial institutions to implement the same kind of thing, where it's like your, your bank account or your credit card is basically given a little score like you're good for it right and so as these payment transactions go through rather than having to wait the long time that it takes for the credit card transaction to go in um it already knows if it's going to be approved or not approved or it'll, it can take a couple seconds to get a regular authorization and an approval but it will settle immediately and the reason it settles immediately is kind of like if you look at the umbria bridge the reason that they can have gas prices that are like 8 bucks, 10 bucks instead of 200 on Ethereum is because when you are bridging something from Ethereum to Polygon, they actually have two liquidity pools on either side of the bridge.
0: Can you explain the Umbrium bridge there?
1: Umbria bridge. So Umbria bridge. There are a number of blockchains, right? And you have, so Solana was one that I talked about. And then you have Ethereum and you have Bitcoin. Ethereum is the big bad daddy of smart contracts. And
0: these all have separate ledgers, so separate uh, unfuckable records, unfuckable
1: right? Unfuckable ledgers, yes. So so basically, Ethereum virtual machine is kind of the gold standard. So you have a lot of layer two solutions building on top of Ethereum. So they actually have very low gas prices because they do their consensus mechanism differently. And then they write to the Ethereum blockchain in bulk.
0: Right? I see.
1: It's like a hash, a bunch of hashes, hashed, hashed, and then written. So they're only doing one tiny transaction and you know, they've processed hundreds of thousands. So what they do with Umbria, Polygon is one of those layer two solutions. And so the, the blockchain and the code, everything matches, right? But to, midi- to to migrate something from ethereum to polygon if you do it and you try and do it in uh, metamask it's gonna it's very pricey it's you know a couple hundred bucks mm-hmm. or 80 bucks at least i mean you're losing a big amount of money to do this bridge umbria what they have done is they have this it's like almost like a portal right so the money goes in <laughs> excuse me on the ethereum side and boom they know that the money is there and then on the Polygon side, they credit that to you and send it to you because they know they already have it, right? So it costs less because you're not actually bridging because you're not bridging an NFT. You're bridging a token, which is fungible, which means this Ethereum token is exactly the same as this Ethereum token. And it doesn't matter what network it's on, right? So this Ethereum has the same value as this, so you're gonna transfer ETH on Ethereum blockchain to wrapped ETH on Polygon. They're completely different tokens. Doesn't matter, they're worth exactly the same thing. It's like, I'm gonna give you a $5 bill, you're gonna give me five $1 bills. Okay. It's the same. Got right? it, yep. Oh, so, so Umbria has figured that out. I think we're gonna end up seeing something on top of our current existing network. Now, the issue that, that we have, Um, I was in Vegas. I put my debit card in um, the taxi, which I never do this. I always do Uber. I do everything electronically. Nope. Put my card in before my flight had even landed. I took a taxi to the airport before my flight had even landed. Right. And I'm in the air. My bank account had been drained. Wow. Which was interesting because my bank had literally done a fraud hold when I tried to buy a mouse for $24 at Walmart and they're like, are you really trying to buy this mouse type in? Yes. And, and yet for 13 transactions in a matter of seven minutes from Western union for cash advances, the fraud alert didn't trigger. I think that's because bank of America is in partnership with Western union. But if you look at the current stats, it's like 23% of swift transactions are fraudulent 23%. Wow. So we would save a lot of money by moving to blockchain. Now, the the challenge with that is we have to really move people's thought processes, right? So you see these hacks and you see these exploits. Some of the exploits are smart contract exploits where they get it to do what it wasn't intended to do. It's a feature, not a bug. Uh, so, So that does happen. But the vast majority is they hack the human. So even OGs fall for this, um, you know, there's this whole Tinder swindler thing going on and, you know, but they hack the human, right? Or they get you to such FOMO that you think you only have a few seconds to to make a transaction. Otherwise, they're going to mint out and you send it and you realize you just sent Ethereum to a wallet. You didn't mint a spooky boy. I, did. yes. I didn't just do that once. I did that twice because it said I could still mint. And I was like, oh my God, there's still more left. It hasn't minted that yet.
0: Uh, yes. Yep. The
1: human. And I'm an OG and I know better. However, when I go to a website and it says connect wallet and says please enter your MetaMask seed phrase to continue using MetaMask, that I know you don't do that. You never yes. do that. MetaMask will never ask you for that. And that is a very common one. So they always hack the human, right? Yep. Um, so that's not gonna that's not gonna change. That's gonna require uh education of the citizenship, of the citizenry, because Crypto is all about personal responsibility and self-reliance, and we've kind of removed that from the social construct because the the name of the game now is victimhood. It's never your fault, and it's always somebody else's problem, and somebody's there to rescue you. We need to get rid of that. We need to go back to uh, my word is my bond, and a handshake is a contract. And once we can get to that, and really move everyone back to that, then crypto will be the reigning financial instrument.
0: That makes that makes sense to me. But back to Voting and how this sort of relates. Together. Well, I want to tie it together here because okay. I think you know, like you bring up a good point. Because I, I personally know people also that uh, have had their crypto wallets absolutely drained entering their seed phrases. They, 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 they as humans were hacked. Right? How do you yeah. prevent that sort of uh, that corruptible element from influencing something so essential like voting, if it were to be done on a wide scale in the United States? democratic processes, all that.
1: The ID that I created also includes your photo. It verifies your photo, your liveness, your likeness, and your ID. If you don't have an ID, we get you an ID. Um, But the idea is that you are that human. It has got biometrics in it. It's only the you that's going to be able to use it. And then to maintain the anonymity of voting, because your vote needs to be able to be cast anonymously, um, then the way that that works is that the ballot itself Uh, has a token and you scan that and then you retain that token um, or that code. You know what that code is. It doesn't live in your wallet. Nobody can backtrace it, but you know what that token ID is and you have it saved. And because of that, you can always check and make sure that it was actually counted that way. See, that's the that's the key piece. We have all this electronic voting. Right. But then you have all these news stories where, you know, in Texas, Back in 2016, a woman was a Republican. She pressed all Republican and it voted for all Republicans, except it also voted for Hillary, not Trump. And she's like, wait a minute. And then they had to take it offline and go to paper ballots for that. Right. Yeah. Another one in this last election, an older woman voted um, and she voted. She voted for Trump. And uh, on her ballot, it didn't say she voted for president. And she said, but it didn't list my vote for Trump and they said, no, no, that's okay. We just didn't put it on that because it's very polarizing. Hmm. Like, I'm sorry, no, 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 no. My paper ballot should match. If I'm gonna take my paper ballot and then go scan it into the machine, I need to have it scanned into the machine saying exactly what my vote is and a receipt that pops up that shows me exactly what my vote is. Because remember in the olden days when we had the little punch cards, yeah. Now the whole the whole Bush Gore thing. Now the punch cards offered something that we're not doing today, and we need to do, and that's called a receipt. So your ballot was printed. You'd go in and you'd punch it. You'd put it in the sleeve. You'd hand it to them. They'd tear off the top, and the ballot numbers matched. So you could literally go back if you had enough time and patience, and find your ballot. Right, and yep. that was your ballot. Now you don't know how it was counted because the machine counted it, but it was a it was a mechanical machine much it was not subject to programming it was literally counting holes yeah like physically counting holes like mm-hmm. almost like an abacus right so very very um not prone to hacking yes <laughs> which
0: I, I mean there's so much to be said about you know just the last election and and voting and you know strange anomalies and things like that and without getting into the weeds on it I think one thing that is just noticeable across the board is that there's just there is no standard process whatsoever every single you have counties differing from other counties states differing from other states and just the whole thing is a big mess and nobody really has any clue how their specific situation works and if anything you're disenfranchised as a voter to even investigate your situation because you're relying on people in your county or town or whatever to tell you about how it works um and and
1: and i can just say with this last election so my polling place is run by the same 150 year old woman that has run it since the dawn of time. It runs like a well-oiled machine. Like she caught his down, right? Boom, there it's great. Other than little things after this election when I was reading our actual constitution, you're supposed to have a drape behind you. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't have drapes behind it. There was all sorts of things that were not correct. But normally, and I moved here in 2012, and I was shocked. I mean, these people take their voting rights seriously. There's early voting, there's, I mean, it's ser- like people exercise their rights here and, and it, it, it's awesome. But we use a thing called ballot tracks and I would go in and I would vote. And within seconds, my text message would go off. You just voted, right? This last cycle, uh, it took two days to get the text message. Why, where did my data go before it actually came back and registered my vote. And then we have entire neighborhoods where none of their votes, which they voted by mail, none of their votes ever hit ballot tracks. They were never counted. They were never delivered. My whole point of this is regardless of whether you think it was safe and effective and secure or whether you think it was hacked, the fact that there are two choices is the problem, okay? And the the cybersecurity infrastructure committee who said this was the safest election ever, literally just filed an amicus brief to suppress a t- the testimony of a data scientist who was basically going to show how these machines were hacked and could be hacked. And they said, he can't say that out loud. Well, they're saying it was safe and it can't be hacked, but he's saying, yes, it can. And they're saying, no, you can't say that out loud. So I don't understand the answer. And for me, the biggest issue is not, we're never gonna know exactly what happened because well, for 50 years. But the fact that there are questions is why I say we need to prevent future questions because exactly what you said, we are gonna disenfranchise voters, which is why I think voter ID is a good thing because then it would give people certainty that their vote was counted and tabulated correctly. That's all it is, removing any, any hint of impropriety and making sure that everyone knows that they're exercising their rights as citizens and that non-citizens are also not. So uh, again, in this last election, I downloaded the database from the Secretary of State of all eligible voters in Nevada. Great, right? Except there's 10.2 million people on the voter roll and I can't open it because it's so big, but it it gave me the summary and it showed me. And I said, okay, that's not good. We only have 2.1 million voters. So who are the other 8.1 million voters on the eligible voting roster and were those people sent ballots? Good question. Then uh, I did pull a smaller subset. I said, okay, let's just let's just see if our data integrity is okay. And I pulled a smaller subset and I said, how many people who had not yet reached the age of 18 voted and their votes were counted? And it was over 3,200. It was like 3,227, something like that. Wow. Over 3,200 votes of those registered voters who were under the age of 18 voted and they were counted. Now that's everybody goes, well that's not going to make a big difference. I go, no, not really. So then I polled how many people over the age of 100 voted, right? And there was 300 and something and I spot checked 10 of them and they were all dead. Again, 300 people they're like, nah, I'm sorry that's that's a problem and a hole in the system, however you want to, classify it and whatever adjective you want to use it happened and it's literally registered that it happened so you can't say there were no problems and you can't say it was the most secure when our machines where they they dialed down the sensitivity of the signature matching machines for the mail-in votes so if if peter pan was registered and you signed santa claus that was good enough that's not okay and then and then there's no more signatures because somehow they're not available.
0: Yes. And <laughs> because they
1: when they get when they get detached from the ballot, you don't know whose signature it was supposed to be. These are problems in the infrastructure and architecture of how we do this. So that's why blockchain would solve all of that. You would make sure that one living person over the age of 18 received a token to vote, that they would then spend their token to get their one vote. They couldn't be registered in two places because they only have one ID
0: and i you know i agree a thousand percent with the concept here you know like it it makes total sense to me and especially just the idea like you know like people get very caught in the weeds of the political aspects and you know what what news channel do they like what are they saying all that stuff but if you take a step back and just say there are problems with it or there are questions with it that's the biggest issue especially in this world of blockchain where we shouldn't have any of that i want to play devil's advocate for a moment though and say you know one thing that's always interesting to me is sort of this dichotomy around the philosophy of Bitcoin and crypto and all these things. One being, you know, it's sort of this libertarian freedom, you know, you're able to, uh, personal responsibility, freedom, all that stuff that you mentioned earlier uh, versus sort of the scary uh, dystopian potential future of, you know, everyone's got like a chip in them or something and they're being tracked specifically. And you even mentioned with uh, having, the, you know, having like biometric data and, you know, your personal information tied to your voter ID and things like that. It's like, how do you ride that line without corrupting forces kind of pushing it over to one way or the other? You know what I mean?
1: Yes. So I will first say Bitcoin and crypto people are hell's fucking no against being chipped. And when it comes to the biometric data that lives on your device, And it lives in your id it's not it's it's not attached to your voter id it's an encryption key that allows you to unlock your stuff right but it's personal it's not recorded your biometric data is basically hashed so on the blockchain they can see a hash, but they can't decrypt it because that goes with your private key. So it's still private, even though it's on the hash chain on the blockchain. But that hash can be decrypted by your device in your account in your wallet to determine yes, you are this human being, right? And and there's so it's really more about owning your data, and it's not the dystopian future. As a matter of fact, it's the exact opposite. What we are headed for, like with vaccine passports, where I'm sorry, you can't go to Burger King and you can't order from Burger King without a vaccine passport. Uh, You can't go to the grocery store. You're creating different classes of people, those who are willing to comply with non-scientifically politically motivated mandates. And those who say, I'm sorry, this is America, pretty sure I get... uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, liberty being one. Um, also, you have this whole dichotomy that nobody wants to talk about. Uh, I am a, I am pro-choice. I worked at Planned Parenthood. Um, I am personally, at this point in my life, uh, after I had my kid, personally, I'm like, if I had an accident and at 53, that would be just freaking tragic. But my body thinks it's 24. So it keeps trying to knock me up. I I have to have it. That's my personal choice. I am all about personal choice of what you put in your body. And I've been an advocate for that for a very long time. Um, Like when it came to masking, I'm like, this is not my first time teaching people to do something they don't want to do. I was a, I majored in sex ed. I worked at Planned Parenthood. I taught black men how to use condoms and why they should. Don't tell me that was not a hard sell, but I, I, I got it done. So um, this is a, you know, because the, the condoms, they make them very, very small and they don't fit. And I'm like, no, no, these are the ones that fit. Like I worked, I got it done. But my point being, um, the, the, my choice, my body, the man, is exactly the antithesis of my choice, my body. Right. So I don't understand how that was able to actually get so far along. Thankfully, they're now ending the mandates. And I, I do believe that's because it's an election year. And the polls are basically showing that 90% of the population are not for the mandates. Yes. Want to wear a mask? Great. Wear a mask. I'm sorry, I went to Disney. I took my mother to Walt Disney World in Florida for her 75th birthday. Now, everybody complains because Florida is like no mandates, right? And I'm like, Disney, actually, there's all these different ways to keep everybody safe. Disney has not had an epidemic. They're not a super spreader event. They have millions of people going through there. Uh, They temperature check everybody walking in. That cuts 90%. They sanitize everything. They use long lasting sanitizer things. I was spraying my mom with probiotic spray. I had her taking the humic acid, the vitamin D, the zinc, all the things, right? We were fine. We were totally fine. Um, And I do all the things I call it my road warrior health kit. And I was in Miami for Art Basel and everybody got COVID except me, not everybody, two other people didn't, but everybody. And then I went to Puerto Rico blockchain week and everybody got it except me. So um, there are ways to stay safe and keep safe that did not require forcing people to take an experimental vaccine that propaganda lies and says it's approved. It's not approved. What we're getting here is not approved. They have a brand that is approved that is not available in the United States. So yep. you, it has to be fully informed consent. And, you know, I my mom's vaccinated. I'm not anti-vax. I'm medically ineligible personally. So I didn't have an option. So I had to explore the therapeutic options. And I've been safe. I got it in February 2020 and I have tested negative now for two years every single week. I'm like a wow. little hyper on the testing because I sure. never want it to be that's the asshole that gives it to somebody. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm I'm over the top safe. Um, well, you
0: mentioned one thing there about, you know, there's polls, like they're super unpopular. And so now, you know, they're making changes, but that raises a question in my mind, of just, you know, another potential blockchain usage here, which is around public opinion polling. You know, I think one thing that we saw of recent elections is like, Hey, how reliable is this data anyways? Cause it's saying one thing on the news And then on the day of election, it's almost the opposite. And of course you just count, you know, you just imagine the guy that gets the phone call about, you know, what's your voting preferences or whatever, and their sort of sense of, you know, do I even, why would I answer this accurately? You know what I mean? Why would you tell the pollers any accurate information anyways? And the fact that, you know, and I I think just looking at democracy in the system that we live in, it's like, it's, uh, in a perfect world it works really great but the issues are where it breaks down or where it doesn't work voting being a huge huge aspect of it but the other being just general polling and how people are feeling about things and letting us sort of shape our own reality instead of having uh you know policies enacted under emergency use whatever uh and then waiting for like kind of a two-year feedback loop until the next election uh for the publics perception and their opinion and their belief system to actually be implemented uh and to repeal some of these emergency uses and so you know I all have those an mandates and that. things you have an app, I for, have that. An
1: app idea for that this is why this is part of i mean we're going to get to foxes but part of the reason that we're doing our way up
0: to foxes
1: it's a whole it's a whole like teaching all these blockchain developers that because we're short blockchain developers so it's very difficult to get people to you know, not take the $300,000 job and come work on this social impact. We don't have enough developers to actually produce all of these social impact programs on blockchain that we need to have done. So one of them that I created um, and it's, I wrote it up, it's like, and it's super, super easy, right? So baby steps, right? Baby steps, baby steps, baby steps. First step is end apathy, right? um, we have to end gerrymandering first because right now people who are elected only are beholden to the people who are in their own echo chamber so we need to end that we need all elected officials to serve all of the constituents on both sides of the aisle not just the party but what the app does is it uses your voter id registration your address and it tells you every single person up the line now that's already a thing you can go on the web and find that but what it does is it? I'm sorry, I'm getting hiccups, I'm so excited. It, okay. it literally tells you what they have to vote on next. What's, what's on the agenda for them? So that you can then as their constituent, weigh in so they can represent your views. And if their constituents say, 90% of their constituents say vote no on this and they vote yes, they have to explain why And then all of that data is tracked. So when it comes time to the next election, which could be four years later, and you've forgotten what they did the first year, it actually has a tally of how many times they voted against their constituent. That's a big deal. Certainly. Um, Because that's talking about reputation and staking, right? Like the, and this other thing about like journalists, we've got journalists who, you know, we have old school, hardcore journalistic integrity journalists who are like, I'm out because in the 80s, it shifted. Uh, News, newscasters were reclassified rather than as a public service, they were reclassified as entertainment basically. And they were allowed to be beholden to their shareholders, not to the public interest. So they no longer had to show and give equal time to both sides of a story, right? And that's really when we started the decline of civilization.
0: Sure. Yeah. And I mean, I think we see, especially with journalists, like the ones that get the most attention, usually aren't talking about the things that people care the most about. Um, Um,
1: Now they are, which is really interesting. We're seeing a pivot point. Okay. Yeah. You have mainstream media that are echo chambers. Okay. If you want to watch like the best explanation of this, watch the movie, watch the movie. It's on Netflix. It's called the loudest voice. It's basically how Fox news started. And, um, it's it's so enlightening um and then people go see see fox fox and i go yes and they're all playing by the same rule book now go watch and then watch your left-sided shows watch your right-sided shows you will literally see the keys and you'll see oh that's the game plan that's they're all doing it right so then you have joe rogan who full disclosure i've never heard or watched a Joe Rogan show. I've seen little clips here and there, right? And I know he has D'Souza on, and uh, I cannot wait for 2,000 Mules to come out. So that's a documentary about ballot box stuffing with actual data, cell phone tracking, interviews, like the whole bit, like the lids coming off. Um, And he has Dr. Malone on, who I find to be extraordinarily credible, fascinating. I have worked in healthcare before. I don't listen to media. They bring up a topic. I'm like, where's the source? I go all the way back. I track it all the way back. And yes, I can actually read scientific medical clinical trials because I worked at hospitals and I can tell whether it's, you know, whether the trial was designed correctly, whether it wasn't designed correctly. I know how to check and see if it was peer reviewed. Like I can go back to the actual raw data and see which of these paid for sponsored studies took data, left out critical pieces of information, like here's a critical piece of information that would have been great for us to be tracking from the very beginning. We're doing PCR tests, which the founder and inventor of PCR said is not diagnostic, don't use it for that. And a PCR test is great, right? checks for viral load, except they they had it set at 40 spins. At 40 spins, you're pretty much guaranteed to put nothing in the machine and get a result of positive. You could put an empty stick in the machine. They did, they showed it. The false positives were off the roof, right? Which exacerbated the fear-mongering. So the PCR test should have been set between like 13 and 20. That would have been a positive contagious viral infection, right? Regardless of what they set it for, even if they set it at 40, they should have literally had one piece of statistical data which would have completely turned this entire last two uh, two years around. How many spins did it take to get to positive? Then they would know what percentage of those were likely false positives and what percentage percentage of those were actually critical infections where those people really did need to quarantine. So, little pieces of data, right? You you they did a Freedom of Information Act to the CDC and said how many cases of a naturally immune person spread getting COVID again and spreading COVID to someone else are there? And they said none. Okay. I had in February 2020, makes me feel safer. Oh, wait, are they just not tracking the data or are there none? So, you know, when it comes to this whole last two years in the, in the pandemic, whether you think it's a pandemic or a pandemic, my whole thing is I, I don't have answers for anyone. I do have some data here and there, but I have an ever loving fuck ton of questions. That's the problem. I have too many questions, which is actually why Facebook shut me up. (laughs) My reach was 110 million globally, 74 million in the US, and they went through and shadow banned my most popular posts. So now I'm lucky if I can hit 5 million on a good day. And uh, if I say anything whatsoever political, my reach is about five. Yeah. So they've put me on the naughty list.
0: Which is a whole other discussion about, you know, Web2 digging its own grave and, and that sort of thing. But I think yeah. one underlying current here that I'm noticing is just related to. I mean, I always believe in asking the right questions and the power of questions and things like that and the data that goes along with it. and being able to put those things together in a way that makes sense. And I think for a lot of people, it's really like a bandwidth issue, right? Like we are all busy in our day-to-day lives. People don't have the energy to ask these questions. Never mind get their responses. They'd rather, like you said, uh, you know, Kettle corn and Netflix and just chill, you know, like I, it's a lot, like if you look at the path of least, least resistance here, there's many paths you can take and not have to confront these challenging, frustrating questions that are going to divide you and your family members. And it's just, it's so much data and information that you really can't, it's very challenging to have a, a nuanced discussion with anybody about it without getting lost in the weeds of our own perceptions of realities and things like that. And
1: I- Time we add that as a subject that they start learning in preschool is how to have difficult conversations, how to have respectful debate, like that should just be required because right now in social media, uh, it's a it's a shit show. I mean, you basically, I literally posted three true facts. I can't. It was on the CDC post, so I couldn't put the screenshots. But like, the CEO of Madura has dumped his stock and he deleted his Twitter. Johnson and Johnson stopped production. Didn't make any announcements, just quietly stopped production. And the CEO of Pfizer has a video that was taped live of him basically saying two shots is going to give you no protection. A third shot, probably not. Our new booster that's coming out in March might be effective on Omicron. Um, It won't keep you from getting COVID, but it, it should help you not, you know, reduce your risk of hospitalization and death. And they're like, everything you said is false. I'm like, everything I said is fully documented. Like, can you Google like that? The cognitive dissidents going on, right. You know, two of my friends, uh, fully boosted California got COVID 104 fever, almost died. And they are just certain that if they had not gotten the vaccine that they would have died. And I'm like, I think it's the other way around. And 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 they're like you know we can't wait to get a booster they're probably going to get a fourth shot any minute and i'm just have i'm literally looking at all of the damage and i'm looking at the the clinical trial data that was actually submitted to the FDA and how is it possible they had they had 1700 reported deaths in the first 2 months and we shut down the swine flu vaccine for 54 deaths so how did that ever get passed i don't understand and we're not going to know until it all comes out, right? There's there's a many, 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 many dots. They're not all connected yet. But my 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 thought is there is a uh, a vaccine that India is actually suing the government. One one province in India is suing the government because they had a va- there is a vaccine. It is cheap. It is super cheap. I mean, super cheap. Been around. It's you know off patent. Uh, because it's so old, but it's super effective on all viruses. It's it's effective on COVID. And then the suppression of that and ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine and budesimide. Why? So they could get the EUA, because if there was an effective treatment, you can't get an EUA. Why? Why? No idea. This is the problem. You have people that just believe everything the government says. Why? We need people to develop critical thinking skills and we need tools to support factual evidence that they just say, well, that can't be true because that's not what I believe. Well, you I, need- Blockchain will help with that. It will help give people yes. certainty.
0: Well, that's what I, I, you know, to tie it back together, it's, and you mentioned, you know, even with the example earlier with, uh, you know, replacing the light bulb, right? We're able to see how blockchain technology can be used to eliminate human work, human error in sort of monotonous, regular things, and we also know that using blockchain and having that unfuckable ledger is unfuck a withable ledger. Uh, yeah. You know, get, gives us you know, it helps uh, eliminate. A lot of the actual mental work that we have to do for things for routine processes that we know we can streamline, right? So it's building right. that trust into the system and also building that efficiency into the system so that we can and you know, making it available to the public so that, you know, people can do their thing and they can do their research and they can validate things if they want to, but building trust in our system in a way that I think we've seen over the past few years, it's just blatantly not there. You know, and I don't, I don't like to spin in a way where there's like this maniacal cabal of people trying to distort everybody's trust. I I think if you leaned on it in every direction, you'd find just little, you know, a little bit of incompetency here, a little bit of, you know, just trying to lean one direction there. You know, it's, it's, it's a lot of little things that add up to a system that no longer works. Um, Think about it like
1: this. We have email, right? Yes. We have, there's a a company called Radiologics full disclosure. Um, I'm advising them right now. But Radiologics is for the healthcare industry, which is super regulated. You have to be HIPAA compliant, private, da-da-da-da, the whole thing. Yep. They have a whole email system where you can, you know, instead of having to burn a CD and send it to the person who's going to do the review of the, of the MRI, it's da, da 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 click, boom, and the person's looking at it, right? But it's still all the patient data is totally encrypted. It's and and like, it's great. What if we had a system like that? What if the Radiologics platform was actually inserted into, at the very least, to start the FDA, where they are try they tried to have seventy five years to to give the Pfizer data in this Freedom of Information Act request because they're like it's just too long. Well. No, what if it what if it's like a press of a button? boom, you can produce it. They're like, no, we have to be able to you know, redact things and this and that. It's like, mm, an AI can do that. You give it a rule set. If we had that, I think the government would function much better because right now they're literally operating like the Pony Express. Even though technologically we are far in advance of that, there are very easy ways to call a, a ridiculous amount of emails for a certain number of words, for which I think if they want to do that and they want to redact, they would have to provide this. These are the rule sets for redaction to the judge and have the judge approve it. And then they programmatically redact everything. And and it goes to the attorneys who are not allowed to share anything until they've already gone through it. And it's under seal until it's been approved that yes, it was properly redacted and then boom. That would speed up the process by uh, 75 years.
0: Yes. And I, I mean, what I feel like we're, we're talking about here ultimately is that our government is operating at one speed, which has no incentive to accelerate or anything, but there's this overwhelming techno- technological development that's it's becoming too big to ignore. And that's what I find so interesting about crypto and blockchain and everything like that, is it's really getting to the point where it's like, our technology is in the stratosphere and we're still operating off of systems that existed before the internet.
1: Well, that's why they're trying to get rid of crypto. Do you not see them shutting down the bank accounts? Chase just shut down another bank account of a big of a a big Dex. So this is this is the issue. And what I don't think they understand is they literally took all their money so they can't meet payroll. And they've done this to many, many people. I literally just got a request for a, a short term loan from a crypto company because their bank account was shut down. So they can't meet payroll. And I'm like, do they not understand that this is going to incentivize everyone who's literally not getting a fiat check because of something the government did or something the bank did to move off of that platform it's only going to accelerate it the more you fight it right the more power the platforms and the decentralization will get because we don't want anybody actually controlling our money right so the government is is i think they feel the chokehold where know this is one of the things going back to that the charity aspect when i was developing the charity token for the hospital imagine right that so if you remember the tweet uh the food organization world food hunger whatever it is um said we just need six billion dollars and we can cure hunger and elon musk goes tell me how and i'll give you the money
0: yeah yep
1: crickets why because they don't know But you have all of these countries that are like, we want to do this program. And then the International Monetary Foundation, whatever, gives them a bunch of money, give them $400 million. And then a year later, or two years later, they're like, "Um, we need another $400 million. They're like, where'd the money go? I don't know. If that was all on blockchain, right, using this charity token that I have, uh, that would actually track everything. They could buy services and, and goods for whatever the project plan was, but It would have to be out of a multi-sig. Multiple people would have to approve it as an approved budgetary item. No fuckery, no bribery, no payoffs, no nothing. So why is it that government, not just here, but around the world, does not want this? No fuckery. So uh, the Maori nation in New Zealand actually, interestingly, just proved that 150 years ago, the queen gave them sovereignty. So I'm actually working with the team that's building them, their entire infrastructure, all built on blockchain, all built on trust, transparency. Um, And it's going to be freaking amazing. And they will be literally the crypto capital of the world because the laws are going to be so crypto friendly, Not, not illegal shit friendly. Crypto blockchain friendly, meaning truth, transparency, openness, honesty, all that stuff. Right. People think, oh, Bitcoin, that's you know, that's the currency of of people doing wrong things. And I'm like, nope, pretty sure that's hundred dollar bills.
0: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> pretty
1: sure that's still cash. <laughs> go go talk to the treasury. The treasury will tell you that's still cash.
0: <laughs> yep. Yeah, there was a hilarious interview with Gary Vaynerchuk uh last week on some, you know, money news channel, and they're like, you know, crypto is used for money laundering. And killers, it's, money
1: laundering. It's, yeah. it's
0: problematic at best. You know, what do you say about it? You know, it's crazy. But um, I want to take a moment, reel this all back in because we're talking about so many big issues and major solutions. and <laughs> Well, let's talk about how this all relates to cute profile pictures. Okay. Um, <laughs> and <to laughs> have the uh, profile
1: pictures okay. transition okay. of the
0: century here.
1: Right, we did that. Well, we said Gary Vaynerchuk, and Gary Vaynerchuk actually helped bring PFPs out into the universe. And he does it correctly, which a lot of people who are doing it are not. He actually makes it access to his community, which is what you're supposed to do. Your your PFP, your pretty picture, your cute cartoon pictures, they need to have a function. Okay, they need to do something. This is very critical, Um, and a lot of these projects don't. So, if it's just a JPEG with a serial number. Uh, then it's a flex, right? So people are like, well, isn't that all Bored Apes is? And I'm like, if you owned a Bored Ape, you'd know that's not true because they have this private community on Discord that if you don't have an ape, you don't get in. And that's literally like walking into a room with all of the richest people in the world. Just that access alone is worth the price that Bored Apes is going for. It's insane. Um, along with, they've got commercial rights and all this other stuff. Limited commercial rights, up to a hundred thousand dollars a year. So, um, I've been working on a lot of these. I've I've architected a number for musicians. Um, I had worked on musiconomy and musicoin years ago, uh, so I understand what artists are facing, uh, especially musicians. You know, they make their money on tour. They haven't been able to tour for two years. How do we turn this around and really? Give them back ownership of the audience because the the issue that they have is when they go on tour, you know they make money from merch and they make uh you know a slice off the ticket sales, but Ticketmaster probably makes more than they do, honestly. Um, and they don't get the name and email address of everybody who goes to their concerts. So what I've created and designed is a way for them to really own their audience and create their own community. I mean, if you look at um, if you look at a lot of these big celebrities, you know they're doing these NFT launches and they're making a couple hundred thousand dollars, but it's because they're not doing it my way, right? It's like mm, that ain't going to do it. You got to do it this way, and then all of those two hundred million fans that you have on Instagram are going to flock to your community and be able to get in. That's kind of a big deal. Um, so while I was working on all of these things for years, I have been doing Crypto Vixens, which is my nonprofit project to inspire women to join founding teams as advisors or co-founders, regardless of technical expertise. So I've been doing that for years. I've been mentoring female founders for decades. Uh, I work mostly on monetization strategies, marketing, um, publicity, uh, increasing verticals, like taking what you're already doing and going into different verticals and diving in there and owning it. So what Foxy's does is it's a 10K generative project. People are probably familiar.
0: Which means, just, like just, just to be super clear, that means there's going to be 10,000 of them.
1: 10,000 unique one-of-one one images, right? Yes. These are Foxies. Uh, when we mint out on that, which will hopefully be Tuesday, the 22nd of 2022, literally Tuesday, uh, I'm hoping we mint out quickly. You know, you never know. You can get on the white list for free. A lot of these, these projects... They make you jump through hoops and hurdles to get on the whitelist, and you know, recruit 200 of your family and friends just to get on the whitelist. It's like, mm, no, name, email, cell phone number, ETH address, you're in. So, uh, because my audience—that's the other thing. When you're looking at these NFT projects, you have to look at who's your audience. My audience are not crypto-centric people. My audience are female founders and children. So, we are putting this whole program together, and then you do a trading card where you collect all of the tails in one color or one color in all of the tails. And that gets you a bonus item. Uh, then we have some really cheesy, silly, fun, kind of addictive play-to-earn games where they can start earning these POPs tokens, which I told you about, proof of personal stake. Um, they have to earn them. You can't buy them. You have to earn them. And so the then we open up the breeding engine. So much like Crypto Kitties, you put two kitties in, you get one kitty out. In ours, you put one foxy in, two foxies in, you get one foxy out, unless you've played the trading card game and you get a four foxy. Now, four foxies are the ancestors, basically. There's 250 of them, and they, when they breed, have access to every trait, every accessory, including all of the new ones, and they breed litters, not just one. So five to eight, and that's random. Every single time you breed a Foxy, it kicks off a scholarship for a woman or a girl. So Foxy's U will open up in Q1 of 2023, maybe earlier. I'm not, I'm not saying, but it might be earlier, but Q1 of 2023. And we have our metaverse. We have our lecture halls. We have our Dean of Education, who's wrangling all of the instructors and getting all of their courseware and putting everything into the system. And we will be training 1 million, educating 1 million women and girls because there's not necessarily an age thing here. I know some great entrepreneurs who are seven. I mean, their parents are entrepreneurs kind of born that way, but uh, seven-year-olds who are designing better go-to-market strategies than some adults. So blockchain development, because most of these founders are going to need some kind of blockchain component. And as I said, we are short developers. So in that blockchain education program, we're also going to be having the social impact projects recruiting. So they not only get educational, academic experience, they get real world experience they can put on their
0: resume. Wow. So let me just try to summarize this, because I think for a lot of people that are that are new to this world or maybe they're not super familiar with it, there's a lot to wrap their head around. So first off, you have these you have a profile picture project, right? So you're going to get an NFT, which is a cute little foxy, which you can display on your profiles if you want. And now Twitter will even verify it, all that kind of good stuff. Um, Yep. From there, there's all sorts of uh, inner community mechanics, right? You can breed them. You can play games with them. There's a lot of stuff to do with them. There's utility value to them uh, and you can earn those pops, tokens and things. But ultimately, the great reward here is that when you do breed them, anytime you breed them, you're going to get a new Foxy created. And when you get a new Foxy created, that is actually the initiation of a scholarship to some lucky girl or woman to uh, learn about blockchain development and this sort of stuff is that is that that's accurate exactly. where can we embellish farther
1: uh, no that that's fabulous so also as part of so just like with the blockchain development program where we have the social impact projects that they can basically jump on and have real world experience with the female founders education for entrepreneurship we have an incubator we have an accelerator and then we have a grants program so you know everybody's looking at this like, well, what are you going to do with the money? And I'm like, uh, I'm going to educate a million women <laughs> and girls. That's that's not inexpensive, by the way. Uh, but when we do this grants program, what was really interesting is if you look at the data, only two percent of women founders are actually funded. But if you look at the data, we fail far less often, and we actually are a better investment overall. But they keep taking these moonshots with these boys. Like as an example, so the reason that my dating app isn't out. Uh, I was going to launch in February of 2020 and then COVID, which means nobody was leaving the house. So it wasn't going to work. So we had to put it on the shelf and then we ran out of runway. But uh, fast forward a few months, uh, a 21 year old guy in his college dorm room pitched VCs and VCs I've already pitched, by the way, uh, a Tinder meets TikTok called lolly which was the name of my app it's now smart dates uh and he raised 2.8 million dollars wow right and absolutely no uh, no disparagement to the kid uh he had a great idea and i sold him the trademark because the app doesn't suck if it sucked i would have been personally offended but if there's any likelihood of confusion and people think that i did that i won't be embarrassed and my reputation won't be tarnished so i was like okay sure um but we had a conversation about this. And I'm like, I swear if I had a penis, I would have been funded in 2015. And I've had this conversation with many, many, many very young funded male founders. And they've all said the same thing. You just need silent power standing behind you saying, write the check. Um, and I I hate that that's true. I really do. You have a lot of people you know, saying, you know invest in women, put your money where your mouth is, all this stuff. They're just not the needle has not moved enough. So one of the outputs that we're going to have with our entrepreneurial program is actually a wallet where all of the tokens that are listed are from female founders. So if you want to invest in blockchain, it's going to have analysis and things like that, but it's going to be basically your own wallet. And the only tokens that are in there are female founders. So you can vote with your wallet and it makes it easier. You don't have to do a lot of research. All and I'm the Simon Cowell of pitch competitions. Just full disclosure. Um, I say no, like I said, three years with hedge funds and family offices. Um, I say no 95 to 99% of the time. I'm really, really picky. I'm very strict on diligence and compliance. And uh, so if it makes it past me, it's probably really good. And, and I do tend to sometimes make people cry in pitch competitions. So I go to Costco first and get a big old thing of, of Kleenex and have it all around everywhere. I'm like, I promise if I make you cry, I will solve your problem. I'm very solution oriented. I will have a fix. If it just sucks and there is no fix, I will keep my mouth shut.
0: <laughs> hey, you know, I, I think a little bit of harsh truth. Uh, I think everyone could use a little bit of that these days. So uh, uh, yeah, they could. yes. Well, I want to ask more about you know of course you just told me about your personal experience in this space or of you know experiencing what you've experienced and and uh right. as one but why uh what what's, what's the further why here for for such a large initiative and such so much of your focus
1: so i've i have been working with female founders uh, especially in crypto vixens blockchain female founders for years and i watched them struggle to raise I watch them struggle to launch. I watch them struggle to get attention. And what I've noticed about their projects is these are game-changing global impact. Like it's not, let's get to Unicorn in the first three months. Some of them could, right? But they've got such utility. Like look at Snap Nurse, right? I met this founder once. I actually met her co-founder probably on Clubhouse like six months ago. It was hilarious because I met her, I want to say three or four years ago. Um, it we have a nursing shortage and it takes three weeks to get approved, to work at a new hospital. You have to go through the credentials check and the vaccination check and make sure you're up to date on your continuing education and all this stuff. Right. Yep. So they created an app called snap nurse and it literally collects all of your credentials and everything in one place on the blockchain certified. You walk in, scan a QR code, you go to work, solves the problem. Those are the kinds of things that I look for in founders is how is your mousetrap, a better mousetrap, more effective, easier onboarding. And the biggest piece of it is how is this going to draw or drive mainstream consumer adoption of blockchain? Because when I try to get early on, when I was trying to get these women to join these founding teams, uh, they're like, oh, I don't know blockchain. I'm like, it's a healthcare company. She goes, yeah, but. I don't understand, you know, how, how the token would, I, I just don't, I'm like, it's a healthcare company. This is, this is a healthcare company, 30 years experience, senior vice president, baller credentials. I just want you to advise this healthcare company. No, I don't, I don't understand blockchain. And I'm like, girl, you don't understand email. You use it every day. Yeah. It has to be, you know, when I look at these projects and when I'm advising projects all over the world, my number one thing is this has to be so easy that they can literally install the app without ever watching a video and figure out how to use it and it has to work it has to be easy it has to work and it has to make their life easier better that's it that's like the core values of how we're going to get people understanding blockchain and then you have all these detractors that are like no bitcoin takes more than this da, da, da. they don't understand we most bitcoin mining operations and i know plenty of them they use Renewable energy, sustainable energy. We have contracts in this country where they have all the stuff that they're producing, these renewable solar, all this other stuff. And but because of the way that the laws are written to protect the income streams and the profits of the energy companies, they will literally turn it off rather than sell it to a mining operation for less than the six cents that they that they want to get for kilowatt hour right so we have when we do renewables and we go direct and everything it's like a penny two pennies a kilowatt hour we're putting it in for a penny a kilowatt hour in new zealand well in the maori nation sorry the maori nation so so we have people literally shipping their miners over there right now because that's where they're going to go because it's only going to be a penny i would prefer that we keep a lot of miners in the united states and have some kind of an amendment that says for these particular operations, these protected classes of operations you are allowed to sell below, right? Because if we had more mining, it wouldn't cost as much, but we don't, right? So so that's why the energy cost is so high. But we also have proof of stake, proof of authority, um, proof of participation. Like we have all of these different consensus mechanisms that do not require the electricity to run a city. People they can't grasp that because mainstream consumers still associate blockchain is Bitcoin. And That's not true. Blockchain is a technology that built Bitcoin is built upon. And the consensus mechanism that Bitcoin uses is proof of work, which is good because it disincentivizes people to try to do a 51% attack because it would be too expensive. So, but we also have proof, proof of stake. Again, you got to hit them with the pocketbook is. People aren't going to risk losing their stake because it could be a lie, right? So there are ways around it where we can implement blockchain without significant energy impact or ecological impact and where we can make it so user-friendly that mainstream adoption happens and it just becomes a thing. Those are the, the people that I want to fund. That, and, and I find that when the, the women, when I do these pitch competitions, the women generally have that criteria. They are looking at, you know, and this ID piece that I'm, that I'm working on should be soon. Um, with the refugees, they have to leave everything or their entire town is decimated and in, in rubble and on fire. Where do they get their birth certificate, right? Look at her, Hurricane Katrina, right? With hurricane katrina uh things were wiped out legal aid was gone people who had child support orders could not modify their child support order and the federal law says that you cannot modify a child support order except to the date of filing except the courts were all closed there was no electronic filing and thankfully the state of texas had a um had the same back-end platform so the people who escaped to Texas could actually change the address where they got their child support, but the people who owed the child support could not electronically file. And then the federal judge declined to allow anyone to file a motion for modification as of the date of the the storm. So it's just fucked. Had this all been on blockchain, it would have been much easier because everything would have been filed and on blockchain certified date stamped, boom, done, right? Right. So there's, there's so many things that could be improved and we just need to do it, right? But we need people who think outside the box on how to do it, right? I don't have a box. I burned my box a long time ago. It's gone. I see everything. I collect a lot of dots in a multitude of, of, of industries and verticals. And, and I say my magic secret sauce is that I can connect them that I have a little information here, a little information here, a little information here. Well, if you, if you are in your own silo or your own echo chamber, you're not going to have access to any of that data because you've never seen it. It's never actually registered. Yep. Right. And that's the big thing. I can make my, po- oh, me, I got to tell the story.
0: Sure. Please do.
1: I can make a point that I'm right. It's perfect. So when I was 20, I, bought a champagne colored Honda Accord, four-door Honda Accord. I had never seen it before. It's the most beautiful car, most beautiful color, drove fabulous. I absolutely loved this car. Oh my God. I felt like I was driving the most luxurious thing ever, right? And uh, never seen it before. Uh, went to the mall, lost my car because there was like 10,000 of them in the mall. Yes. And started to see it everywhere. And then found out it was the most popular car in the most popular color and also the most stolen car in America. Wow. If you don't know what you're looking for, we have this blindness, situational blindness. We're n- we just, we aren't going to see it. I do the same thing in dating. I explain, if you don't know what you want, you're never going to find it. I guarantee you, every single woman knows exactly what she doesn't want. And when I asked a room full of 1,000, 1,500 women, what do you want? A third of them burst into tears. I was prepared. I was a motivational speaker for 10 years. I'm used to making people cry. It, it happens. So there was tissue everywhere. But they, they, don't, they don't know what they want. They just know they want different, except the only thing they can recognize is what they already know. It's a problem. So in, in, we cannot switch the mainstream consumer population into blockchain unless we start producing applications that look like what they're familiar with. Like going from the CD to the DVD was easy, right? Going from VHS to a big old laser disc, the size of a record that you had to flip over in the mo- middle of the movie, not easy. Everybody was on music, on CDs, form factor was familiar, boom, now it can play movies. And I use it exactly the same way as I use a CD. I put it in, I don't have to flip it over, there we go. That is the baby steps along the way that we have to actually accomplish, which is why pop right in last minute beauty bookings. It's on the blockchain, you're paying in tokenization, and like the whole thing, right? It solves all these problems, right?
0: Yes. It
1: solves everything, but we have to get the mainstream to get the ID to start using the applications that are on the blockchain, start feeling familiar and and eroding this cognitive dissidence that Bitcoin is blockchain, blockchain is Bitcoin. That's not what it is.
0: Yes. Yeah, you just, you don't know what you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. Yeah, you don't know what you don't know. That's a natural blind spot. And people should be aware that there's a lot out there. And if you can't conceive it, then you can't wrap your head around it. Then you can't do anything with it. Um, And I think that, you know, your, your process, your process of thinking here makes total sense. Uh, And this is something that, you know, we identify, you know, like in my, my business, we realize that like, as we grow, you don't know what you don't know. And we look at uh, how do you help educate on what you don't know? You know, it really comes down to, you just provide information on as many things as possible, start to put those dots out there so that people can connect them. Because if you at least have visibility on the on the bits of information what is potentially out there, then you yeah. can start making some actionable, better educated decisions and moving in the right direction. So I think education okay. overall is kind of the underlying theme here. You need to educate people to be able to at yes. least help fill in those voids of and reduce the not knowing what they don't know.
1: Exactly. And then that's why when people register for the whitelist, the very first thing that we send them is the crypto wallet security worksheet because i don't want them to lose their stuff i want them to know how to set up their accounts how to set up their metamask how to protect their seed phrases their their private keys they need to know all of this stuff and i am assuming because my target market are mainstream consumers that they don't so i provide that information right up front i don't want them to have to go look for it
0: yeah which i honestly think should be in, every project should do that absolutely yeah. you know i can't tell you how many people i know personally who have tried to get into this space, have no idea what they're doing and make a few mistakes right out the gate. And it could be devastating.
1: Exactly. And so and so that's uh, that's where we're at. That's, that's what we're doing. And Foxy's, I have a feeling is going to hopefully show people that education does not have to cost $100,000 in order to output productive members of society with skill sets that are in high demand.
0: I love it. You know, personally, you know, knowledge without college uh, being you know a, a core value of mine. It's really, I think people underestimate how much uh, or how cheap, inexpensive, uh, an effective education can be, uh, especially in this modern world where yeah. I, I don't know if any exist, if any degrees exist for something like blockchain development. You know, it's like
1: it's computer science,
0: right? Computer science. So. Right.
1: Uh, There's a few things that I think need to be degrees. Um, I think how to write a bill should not be buried in political science. I think it should be a minor. I think, you know, the one positive, I I escaped California, (laughs) full disclosure, I'm from Marin. I live in Reno now, I escaped in 2012. Um, But the one thing that California has that other states should adopt is the ability, uh, they call it uh, reading the law. So you can literally take uh, ethics and civil procedure and be a law clerk and literally argue and represent clients as long as there's an attorney supervising you. Um, but you can also reading the law. You can also study for two years. At the end of one year, you take the baby bar, and at the end of two years, you take the bar, and then you're a lawyer, and you don't have to pay for law school. So I feel like what they what has happened is that it it has become an economic threshold as to whether or not you can go. That's my mother. She's on emergency bypass. Uh, I did turn my phone off. I'm sorry. Um, no, and if I don't answer, it's because I'm dead in a ditch somewhere. So <laughs> my panic. Um, anyway, so so with law school, I feel like it's, you know, this economic threshold of if you're rich enough, you can be a lawyer. And then you look at washington, d c and the vast majority of legislators and congressmen, senators, and they're they're lawyers, right? The vast majority of politicians are lawyers. And that was never how the United States was envisioned. You were supposed to be um, a a person an intelligent person who then served and contributed for a few years and then went back to your life. That isn't what we do. I mean, we do that here in Nevada, which is really interesting because our legislature only meets every two years. So these are actually like business owners, you know, they're actual people who have a real job, a real day job, and and then also serve on the government, which is a little bit more helpful. But um, yeah, Congress is, is it's too many lawyers, and because Congress is too many lawyers, uh, we either need to say that is a violation of the Separation of Powers Act because the judiciary is where the lawyers go. So the lawyers should actually be barred from being legislators because that's that. They, then they get two branches, uh, and then we have the executive branch. So I think that uh, lawyers should stick to the Supreme Court and the and the federal judges and stick to their their branch, uh, or we should make it easier for anyone who desires to do so and has the intellect to do so to become a lawyer
0: sure yeah i mean personally like uh i would love to see the ratio of lawyers to entrepreneurs change dramatically in the next (laughs) you know 50 years in congress i think if if there's one ratio to focus on that will paint the entire picture for us of the health of our government i really think it's that one because when you send people out into the world uh, and you become an entrepreneur and you take on the challenges of the marketplace, it forces you to align with truth and it forces you to uh, just do what's smart and develop that, that uh, you know, long forgotten thing, common sense, uh, no. and, you know, try I mean, to bring that back.
1: To graduate high school now, like literally yeah. situations where common sense reigns supreme and yeah. see if they pass, because it it really feels like a Jimmy Kimmel late night segment. It really just, I think that it's going to,
0: yeah. It could it could and be just to provide some maybe some additional context here is is because i think we've we've done a lot of uh you know kind of tearing apart the systems as they are today which you know like just but to be I, we clear, have solutions well we yeah have, we, we have solutions which is great which is great but i think it's important for people to realize that like society is built on you know like like let's just say the pendulum is always swinging right Like, there's a reason why we have all these systems and why they became complicated. And it was good for a reason. You know, it had to become complicated. It had to do this for a reason. And we got there, but now we're, the pendulum is going in the other direction. Now we can simplify things. We've, we understand what it takes to have a functioning government and a functioning business and to do the smart things, uh, with an economy, right? Like, We've We've developed this civilizational understanding. And now we're at this point with uh, our technology where we can simplify these functions, reduce the amount of human work that goes into it, reduce the amount of uh, human error that goes into it. And we have the opportunity to simplify our systems and make them bulletproof. And I think most people really are sleeping on that reality. It's not so much that everything that we've ever built up until now needs to be destroyed and rebuilt and it's more so it's the opportunity to evolve our systems into the future and it's so it's not an endless hate stream on lawyers and the way things are it's more so let's just let's make this digestible for the average person because as we move into a a super complicated world that it's getting more and more complicated by the day we need to simplify things or else it's going to be like a Dilbert cartoon run amok and that's the end of our civilization. You know what I mean?
1: And and it's crazy because here's what happens. Emotion takes over, right? I know we're talking a lot about politics, but you know, there was this whole, uh, in 2016 uh, after Trump was elected, they're like, we have to get rid of the electoral college. And I said, okay, I have a TV show for you to go binge watch, it's called Continuum. And what happens is, power actually then centralizes in all of the 10 big places because if it's one person one vote you really only need the 10 major cities which means the entire rest of the country is ignored so then all the population will go in but then who's going to grow our food and then really in those centralizations when you have all that centralization of power in those 10 cities then all those big companies are actually going to make it go to those 10 cities so that they can influence policy and get what they would need to get, which means that they won't be out there in the rural. So that means that all the income out there is going to go. And then those people are going to starve and and you're going to end up with the corporations actually controlling the entire United States. Like I went through the whole thing and they're like, but they elected Donald Trump. And I'm like, you need to get over that because it's called four years. And I called it 18 months earlier. I said, look, this is the year of the independent this is the year of different this is the year of i'm done with the status quo you have two choices you have bernie or you have trump if hillary is the candidate trump is the president i don't know how else to explain it i was very loud i was very everywhere having this conversation i was a bernie delegate and i said you know and and what's funny is i was a ron paul before that i'm an independent like i i I had to register in Nevada so I could caucus for Bernie so I could be a delegate. And I was a Bernie delegate. Uh, yeah. And then I live streamed the stealing of the Democratic nomination at the Nevada Democratic election. And then all of the media, Franken, cut my footage without attribution and out of context and said that the Bernie delegates were violent. So when I have all of these people who are left leaning saying, No, the government would never do that. I'm like, I've been on the pointy end of that stick, and I was a Bernie delegate. I'm not even a conservative. I literally come from the woo-woo capital of the world. I recycled. I, if it's yellow, let it mellow. If it's brown, flush it down. Like I conserved water. We recycle like all the hippie things way before they were things, right? And and I, but I'm trying to explain that what you're seeing on the mainstream media is a narrative and propaganda, regardless of which side you're on. And what you actually need to do is critical thinking, learn to research and read exactly what it says. Right. So they say voter suppression, voter suppression, voter suppression. And I can't remember the name of the senator who did a 45 minute presentation on what's in this bill. Number one, 31 states have passed voter suppression laws in the past year. 31 states including his state, which is up here somewhere. I can't remember which one. And, and the voter suppression law that his state passed was they extended early voting by one day. They made it easier to vote, right? Like yeah. all of those 31 things, they he read them. Every single one, if you are sensible, independent, if you're just a sensible, rational human being, you'd go, I'm okay with that. Uh, One of the proposals that they have is that felons, currently incarcerated felons, including rapists and murderers, have the right to vote. And I go, "Mm, nope, 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 nope. We already have laws on the books that say if you have served your time and your debt to to society, there's a process where you can have your felony expunged and regain your rights. That's already a thing. They don't mention that, of course. So really it's only the currently incarcerated and the rapists and murderers who actually get to vote. Yeah, no, I'm not really good with that. And I'm a sensible middle, like I'm fiscally conservative, socially progressive, you know, keep your hands off my body, clean air, clean water, probably a good idea. <laughs> and how about we not have uh, Tetris like gerrymandering districts instead of dividing it by uh, the population to skew the vote. Watch the video at represent.us. It explains the whole thing. It's phenomenal. Uh, Let's go by lakes, rivers, county lines, and major arteries and streets. Let's just do that.
0: How about that? Common sense kind of stuff. Yeah, it's... Yeah, let me redraw
1: the map. I know nothing (laughs) about map making. I know nothing about the political makeup of any city. But I could literally take a city map and I could draw you quadrants, and it would be a thousand percent more fair.
0: Yeah, and I think ultimately, I've probably said that a thousand times today, trying to summarize all these things that we're talking (laughs) about. Uh,
1: I said four hours.
0: But there's so many systems that you know designed were designed properly, I think, or let's say they were designed with the right intentions in mind, and it's just a
1: population of three hundred thousand. Yeah, whole different worlds.
0: Yes, and then. The natural uh, force of political erosion occurs, you know, where people infringe upon these systems and Mm -hmm. then they become the backwards systems that we have today because they've just been solely infringed upon, infringed upon, infringed upon. And I think, you know, when you look at the intention of the United States government, the Democratic Republic, all that stuff, there's only so much that you can do to stop that systematic erosion. But I think the opportunity that we have today with blockchain, with Bitcoin, and with these unfuckable systems is unfuckable. that unfuckwithable <laughs> systems. Gotta really get that down. Um, is that you can future proof right. things so essential to us, like our government, like our voting system, like our representation. And to me, that is the absolute number one largest priority of young people today should be to work with the systems that our founders envisioned modernize them evolve them using the technology that we have today and make them completely unfuckwithable. and then we're looking at thousands of years of prosperity and colonizing the solar system and that sort of stuff
1: and i mean okay think about it this way right we designed our systems and did not want anyone to have to present anything to exercise their right to vote you have to look at that in context, right? And you don't get to have it both ways. You can't say that you know gun rights should evolve because back then they only had muskets and they couldn't have envisioned automatic weapons. So therefore we have to amend gun laws away from our constitution, which allows us to have weapons Um, Because it is now different now. You cannot at the same time say we cannot require voter ID because back then they could never envision 360 million people, right? Every single person running a polling place knew every single person voting. They knew that human being personally. They knew they were a citizen and they knew they were over 18, And since they walked into the polling place, they knew they were alive. The person at the desk was literally the voter ID. So now we should actually update that because the person who's at the desk who's volunteering does not know their entire community. They don't know everyone in their polling district by face, by name, what their dog's name is. When everything was designed originally, that's how it was designed because they already had that taken care of. So they didn't write it in there. So of course you don't have to produce anything to vote. The reason is it was to avoid the papers please, right? Yep. Because that's what we were experiencing is this whole thing. If you were a citizen, you were a citizen, you had rights. The problem is also, we have a lot of non-citizens residing in this country. There's no way to tell the difference visually right? You can't just look at someone and determine whether or not they're a citizen. There has to be an increase, there has to be an upgraded method of verification, right? So it's just simply growing with the times. If you can make the argument that gun rights should be suppressed, then you can't at the same time say that voting rights cannot be improved you're saying we have to amend the constitution to take away your rights. But at the same time, you're not saying we have to enforce the constitution to preserve your rights. You, it's, you can't have it both ways. And that's what I find a lot coming out of Washington DC right now. And I would just like some very sensible solutions that are very practical and voter ID is approved by over 80% of the population. That's well, both sides of the aisle pretty evenly. So, yeah.
0: yeah. I think this is where we see, uh, to me, what I've observed the most is people, if you break it down to them in a way that you just did, will generally agree on almost everything. Like there'll be some points of disagreement, but I firmly believe legitimately that between any you could pull two people out of a crowd i think they'll actually believe about uh, and agree on about 95% of all things if not more and the only reason why they feel like they disagree on things is because of the content that they've that they've uh, accumulated
1: it's it's cancel culture and its social programming so what was interesting is years and years and years ago i created um this idea of indie voters right so when you look at it and and represent us there's a pie chart thingy in there too. The, the the thing is this, right? The way that our political system, I, I wrote a book that I was encouraged uh, not to interfere with Hillary's coronation. So I didn't put it out, but I will be putting it out at some point. It's called Poison Pills and the Death of Democracy. How The two-party system is killing the American dream. The idea is that 70% of the United States identifies as independent. So you have 15% on either side. It's generally about even, right? Then you have the 5% on the edges of each side. They're the only ones getting attention. They are literally the loudest voice. So those of us in the middle, the 70%, very clearly independent, fiscally conservative, socially progressive. We came up with a platform probably about 15, 16 years ago that, that, Those 70% of the people, they would all agree with 90% of the platform. You're going to have some fluctuation, pro-choice, pro-life, guns, no guns, right? But we kind of shove that to the side and go, look, if we could get Congress to commit to no gun talk, don't try and take my guns, don't try and touch my body, right? I'd say those are fairly equally like third rail topics, right? Yeah, we're going to table those two for two years, not even a whole four year administration, two years, one legislative session, two years, table that shit. We got a list of 200 things you all got to get done. And you don't get to hide behind I'm fighting for this. No, you're not. You're literally only obligated by Constitution to pass one thing every every year and it's called the spending budget. It's called the omnibus budget. Now, what do they do with this? And this is what I object to. Uh, Stop calling it the COVID relief bill. It was the omnibus bill. It was not the COVID relief bill. The COVID relief bill does not need to spend $10 million to investigate horse doping in the racing industry. That is not a COVID relief bill. So one of the bills that I would love to write, and I invite anyone who's interested in writing a bill because I don't have the bandwidth to do it, I can tell you everything that needs to go in it. Uh, The whole point is single point topic bills, and the title must accurately reflect exactly what's in the bill. Why? Because they use the titles of the bill to misrepresent what's in it and bury a bunch of pork in it and then use propaganda machines, aka mainstream media, to sell it. When that's not what is in it. We should not have been sending $50 million to Pakistan for gender studies in a COVID relief bill. Gender studies is not COVID. So let's not lie to the American people anymore. That's
0: yeah. It's I mean, it's basic like you can't get away with that on a Facebook ad. Never mind, uh, yes. you know, no, I any mean? no. misrepresentation like that. You'll, you'll get shut down so fast. Uh, by the FTC for things like that. But our politicians are are passing things like the Patriot Act, which sounds great, but... uh... Sounded
1: great, not great. And and (laughs) the other piece of this is, I would like the FTC to sue the CDC uh, (laughs) for, for false claims. So the CDC frequently posts these things that says it prevents COVID. The vaccines prevent COVID. They don't prevent COVID. The CEO says they don't prevent COVID. They changed the definition of vaccine from prevent to protect, they can't even substantiate those claims. But the whole point is that they are making, they are the, the biggest propaganda machine and they are not giving actual, I, and I don't blame the social media marketer who's running this channel. They're actually exceptional if they actually had good data and you know they have to stop saying prevent. They can't use the word prevent. It, it's actually a false and misleading statement. So I would love to see the FTC Come down on the propaganda machines, but of course they won't because it's all the same administration, yeah. uh, and so we the people are literally left helpless. So then that's going to be left to the state attorneys general, who can actually and are prosecuting people for false and misleading statements uh, on, you know, our cleaner will last thirty days and be COVID free on any surface, like all these things that, and we're FDA approved. Well, no, you're not. So that kind of thing, right? Yeah. So. I think it's going to be up to the state's attorney generals to to actually enforce the mitigation of propaganda to us from the federal government. They they are riding a political agenda and every administration does it. This is this is not targeting just one or the other. I'm telling oh, you yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, how is... the federal government runs in yeah. general, right? Yeah. And I would like the federal government to literally have to own their words. That's what I would like. I would like everybody. That's the whole thing about the ID. What's it's accountability. accountability. It's accountability. So I came up with this idea actually in 2008. So I own a little website called yelp-sucks.com. <laughs> because Yelp And I invest? in 2008 and they own yelp-sucks.com, so I had to put a dash in there. Didn't keep me from being on page 1 for 8 years. They couldn't shake me off of page 1. But my my point with them was there's there's no appeal. There's there's no explanation, they're filtering comments. And I said, look, you have two choices. Either your filter is broken or it's on purpose. You can pick, right? But the idea that I had was you have all these people who are who are making these reviews and you don't know who these people are. And Yelp's position is we have to protect people's um, anonymous free speech. And mine is we get this smart eye ID. We are going to literally shame every platform into it. And if you want the blue check, The blue check says you can be whoever you want online. However, if somebody wants to sue you, they get to know who you actually are and you have verified your liveness, your likeness, your ID, like we know who you are. So you are owning your words. Do you think if people had to own their words, we'd have a better society? Because I'm not saying that respect. I'm not saying your opinions are wrong, right? I I don't care what your speech is, as long as you're not inciting violence or or, you know, that the the constitutional things protected free speech, as long as you're not violating that free speech. I don't have to agree with you. You can say whatever is your constitutional right to say. Absolutely. When it comes to voting, I don't care who you vote for. I just care that you vote. I just want to get back to a place where. The society that we created as a massive melting pot of divergent opinions and beliefs is actually represented by a melting pot. I agree. If I don't get get one DM saying you (laughs) got (laughs) to (laughs) run, which I've been asked now to run three times and I'm like, nope, got some more stuff to do. Not old enough. I'm only 53. Give me (laughs) time. I'll do it when I'm...
0: I, I like to think that as well, that, you know, maybe in my later twilight years, it would be time. But I mean, I think what you're working on, the initiatives that you're working on are more critical now than ever before. I yeah. think people need to stop thinking of Bitcoin and crypto and blockchain and all these solutions as nice to haves and more so as uh, waking up to the reality that these are need to haves, especially, um, you know, you can look at what's happening right now in Canada. So as we're recording this uh you know, just yesterday, I believe Justin Trudeau, the PM of Canada enforced like an emergencies.
1: Canada's in lockdown.
0: Well, yeah, they've gone full block. Marshall's
1: law. Canada, listen, listen, people, yeah, okay.
0: Well, we'll well, let's tie it it to the the banking, tie it to the banking. I'm gonna
1: tie it to the banking. You (laughs) know I'm gonna tie it to the banking. Look, this is a bunch of truckers peacefully protesting, disrupting the economy, yes, however, the government was disrupting the economy to the detriment and against all of the science and data of the citizenry. The truckers said, We're done. A small group of people made a very peaceful, very civilly disobedient, very legal protest that was very effective. The GoFundMe raised $7 million. It's seven or nine, one of the others would seven million dollars. And GoFundMe said, well, we're not going to give it to them, but we are going to keep your money, everybody who donated. Normally, they return the money. They're like, no, we're not going to return the money. We're going to keep the money. We're going to give it to another organization that that we approve of. That's the antithesis of the truckers. So then they set up another platform, and it raised like $9 million in 24 hours, right? Um, Government take notice. When the people around the world start donating, like my friend donated $25,000, Wow. uh, is going down. You're not gonna win this one. There is too much popular support. Why? Because the media is lying about the truckers, but they can't stop the social media. They try, but then they're like, they're destructive. They're this, they're this, right? Kind of like when they said the Bernie delegates were violent because a guy lifted a chair, the chair was put down and then he was hugged while he sobbed. And this is a 350 pound biker sobbed because they stole the nomination, right? They cut it at the lifting of the chair and then said we were violent. I'm like, there were no chairs thrown. They're talking about chairs thrown. I'm like, there were no chairs thrown. Every, I And I doubled down. I went hardcore for a week until they stopped saying it. I never got the retraction and they never paid me a license fee. And the only channel that did what I said, they asked permission. I said in context and with attribution was Fox News, surprisingly. But um, going back to the truckers. So. I kept saying they need to be donating in crypto. They need to be donating in crypto. And I had come up with this, this idea. I was about to mint probably about a month ago for litigation finance, right? We need to be able to litigate these things and it's very difficult to finance and you cannot find a financing company that is willing to finance vaccine injury cases. Yep. Or mandate cases, right? So that needed to be financed and we the people would be willing to finance it. Trust me on that one. So you didn't even have to ask a permission for a bank. Those could be financed. So the same thing with the truckers. I'm like, they need to be using crypto, need to be using crypto because they took their money. They froze their accounts. Right. So this is now $16 million that they should have to fund this very peaceful civil disobedience protest. And they don't have access to it. Would you like to know what they're doing now? Bitcoin for truckers. And let me tell you, uh, any government who wants to try and stop Bitcoin, go ahead. Ain't going to happen. Just-
0: Especially a democracy, you know, like that's no. China, they can do whatever they want. But uh, in a, in a not country that claims them. to be a democracy, it's it's a it's a bold move.
1: This is the, that's the whole thing. So now Justin Trudeau has enacted martial law. I, I need you to understand how significant this is. Like. Normally, this would be war, right? This would be martial law because invaders have entered the country physically and are taking over and they need the citizens to stay in their houses to protect themselves and make it so that the army can go out and wipe out the invaders. Martial law, Um, martial law in Los Angeles for the Rodney King riots, completely reasonable, right? Portland being taken over by Antifa no martial law truckers peacefully, not moving, right? Not moving, honking, honking not moving, um, uh, martial law. No. And then the, the media is lying about them. They won't let them take out the trash. You've got photos of these trucks, right? they they literally, everything is neat and tidy. And they're like, they won't let them take the trash away. Right. They're, they are, uh, you know, this other people came in, these instigators came in and they threw eggs and all this other stuff over the statue. And the truckers are like washing the statue because it's like a significant thing for the people of Canada. It's like a hero of Canada. I have no idea who it is, Yeah, but they're cleaning it. Right. Media won't show you that. So social media is, you know, the great, this is, and this is what I don't think people understand. Okay. We will find a way if, If Egypt was able to overthrow a dictator with Facebook, even though they cut off the internet and then people would tunnel information out through dial-ups and mesh networks, do they not understand that we are technologically advanced enough that they are not going to actually be able to shut us up? So that's why they're doing the propaganda campaigns to brainwash the population, to hate the other side of the population, to say that it's an us versus them when it is not at all. And this is the whole thing, the truckers have done more uh, to to bring us back to some sense of normalcy and get people to understand that the jig has been fucking up, it's up, the jig is up, stop. And now they're gonna have to stop. So Trudeau does martial law the minute, the minute, and I, I, I hate to say this, but it will happen, the moment, a single trucker is killed is the end of Canada
0: i i uh, I'll be watching for that moment, you know, I can tell you it's it's I think people need to focus on what's going on right now because it is unique beyond measure. I think we're too used to these emergency use, uh, you know, bypass of normal powers and democratic processes from the past couple of years, uh, which is a very yeah. dangerous precedent. and then also, I think, one area to make extra clear for people listening is that it was not just goFundMe that decided to keep the money and do whatever with it. this is direct action from the government freezing bank accounts uh, even today they're trying to influence tow truck companies by threatening to freeze their bank accounts and uh, freeze their insurance and things like that to tow the trucks out of there. so this is this is far this is direct government interference with the financial system which, Those two things should always be separated in a free world. And so again, this is the crypto blockchain, all this stuff, PFP projects, people (laughs) are Foxies. It all seems so nice and dandy and all that stuff. However, uh, really what's underlying the undercurrent of this movement, the undercurrent of what's happening today is so much bigger than just profile pictures and artwork and people, uh, pulling rugs and making money on these little projects. This is really about the nature of our system, our underlying systems, our democratic system, our economic system, and the trust that we have in the system and the ability for us all to actually operate within the system in a way that uh, does not disenfranchise anybody, does not push anybody out because of their political beliefs or their vaccination status or anything like that. We're talking about building a system that allows people to thrive live on, you know, live in the world that we are promised uh, without, you know, sort of tyrannical overreach and without the threat of tyrannical overreach as well with our amazingly unfuckwithable systems. Yes, We, we did it. Uh, amazing stuff. Uh, Adrian, <laughs> thank you so, so much for your time today. I feel like I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours about this yeah. stuff. And we
1: already uh, did too the other day. It was like just yes. supposed to be a quick little 15 yeah, quick minute conversation hours later. <laughs>
0: yep. So, I'm I'm really excited for this project though. I'm really excited to see what you continue to do your wealth of information and data and facts and uh, fierce opinions as well which I love. Um, so can you please tell the audience where should they find you? How can they support you? How they how can they get involved in what you're working on?
1: So I am at adrian A-D-R-Y-E-N-N, pretty much everywhere. Uh, The project is called Foxy's, you can find it at foxys.art. Click the little button that says I want in, put in your first name, last name, email address, cell phone number, because trust me, you want in on those texts because there are little airdrops of NFTs that only are open for five minutes. So you definitely want to make sure you get in on that. Um, And then put in your ETH wallet address. Do not put in your street address. Many people have put in their street address, your Ethereum wallet address. It is a Polygon project, your Polygon wallet and your Ethereum wallet and your Binance wallet. It's all the same number. It's the same account. They're just different chains, but they're called Layer 2. So your ETH wallet address is your Ethereum wallet address. When you opt in, you're going to get the crypto wallet security worksheet, which I think I might have to update with a whole page on what is your wallet address. I cannot whitelist you with your street address. Because the smart contract is looking for a wallet address to allow in to mint early. Public Mint starts 2-22-22 at 9 a.m. So for those of you who are interested in supporting female founders, educating women around the world in blockchain development and solving our problems so that we can accelerate blockchain into the mainstream consumer ecosphere faster. We need developers. We are educating a million women and girls in blockchain development and entrepreneurship, and we need you. So please sign up on the whitelist and I look forward to meeting all of you.
0: Thank you, Adrienne. Uh, it's been a real honor and I'm really looking forward to a future conversation.
1: Me too. Thank you so much.